0: Welcome to episode 31 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Hay.
1: And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conan.
0: And this is a live taping episode at APW.
1: Atlanta Poly Weekend 2019.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it may have a little bit of a different sound profile than we normally do because it is more live. It's going to be a little bit less edited. And we'll see
1: how that turns out. I think it's good. I think it's going to be fun. I
0: think it's fun to do it with actual people in the room. Because APW is one of the few times I get to see a lot of people from across the country in person, I wanted to bring something physical. If you guys don't remember from a year ago, the stuff we talked about at Atlanta Poly Weekend, I did a maybe need. And we were able to raffle that off and raise some money for charity
1: delicious meat
0: <laughs> this year we weren't able to do that however we did part <laughs> we did <laughs> I did still bring me and two of our listeners reached out to the podcast in, in different ways that were meaningful enough to me that I wanted to bring them something special and physical Aww. so Norm drove Ten and a half hours and brought his entire extended polyfuel group, three people, drove 10 hours just because he heard about it through the show, yeah? Yeah. I told him I would bring him a, a bottle of mead that he could take home.
1: Aww.
0: And uh, I have the, the same exact thing because I wanted to make it easy to know that I wasn't giving someone something nicer than someone else <laughs> for, for David.
1: Yay. who David
0: was the first person to donate once we opened up donations. Yes. So within 24 hours of opening up donations, David was the first person on our list donating to us. So we wanted to. He definitely loves show the, the claim of,
1: of our biggest fan. So. <laughs> And I get messages from him, like, within days of you releasing the podcast, I told you the other day, he was the one that messaged me, fuck NRE. <laughs> well,
0: and it's fun to that we're starting to actually have a community, because the more I've been spending time trying to think about where this goes long term, what we're doing, what we're actually trying to accomplish, the more I think it's going to have to be a group of people working together to accomplish the kind of things that we want to accomplish. We simply can't get more than we've already done, other than continuing to produce content as far as getting new listeners everybody we know has been told a thousand times so at this point if you're getting a new listener (laughs) it's because somebody in our existing community is telling somebody else to listen to this podcast it's not us anymore it literally can't be
1: so we appreciate you guys (laughs) spreading the word and helping us grow the podcast
0: well, and, you know, of course, uh, the feedback, someone at the, there was an after party last night for the party at APW, which is already a, always a party on Saturday evening, mm-hmm. different themes each year, and they came up to me and they said something that I thought was really insightful, which was, you know, as much as the people really like your podcast, in a lot of ways, you need them more because they provide the feedback of re-centering the work that we're doing, right? Because <laughs> I might get really excited about some really esoteric existentialist question that is not helpful to people's day-to-day lives and just stay there if there wasn't an actual audience that were... <laughs> talking to and who's
1: responding back to
0: us.
1: (laughs) And speaking of longevity, I don't know if you know this, but Friday is my one-year anniversary with probably Polly.
0: I didn't know the individual anniversaries. I didn't know where you guys wanted them, but I hadn't looked them (laughs) up yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this past Friday was my one-year anniversary of doing my first part on the podcast.
0: I guess that means... We should plan for Sarah's in a couple of months. Back to the, the jealousy Jealousy, Bent. We're doing jealousy, but everybody does a basic jealousy intro 101. And I think that's been really done. Mm-hmm. Also, of course, jealousy is so nuanced and so deep that you could do hundred episodes on it. So we're going to try and stick to one specific thing so we can actually make some useful content about it. And that is the way in which in our community, jealousy is such a taboo sensation that people are often compelled, especially new people, to pretend they don't have it while they do have it. And I think that's much worse than actually engaging with it. And I think that there's some really interesting parallels there between the way that men in general in the hegemonic, mononormative world are taught to bottle our emotions and pretend we don't have them and how that always blows up in our face. And then Polly is like, oh, we have free emotion and you don't have to do that and you can do whatever you want. But if you have jealousy, you're a terrible person. So don't do that one.
1: Right. You're shitty at Polly if you're jealous.
0: Right. If you're jealous, you're bad at Polly. If you don't have (coughs) instant compersion for people, you're bad at Polly and that's something that can be a real guilt issue for people as well. And we talked about this a little bit before, so I want to bring this back, but I was looking at a study a while back that talked about how in polyamorous relationships specifically, when you are trying to resolve issues, if there is a disconnect between how much jealousy you think that you have and how much jealousy is reflected back to you by your partner, there's a huge drop in your ability to engage with it emotionally.
2: Mm -hmm. So in
0: preparation for this, one of the things that I have been trying to do is jealousy research, and there's not as much as you would like to think there is, but I did find one book that's the composite of all the existing research that they could Hmm. find. It's like pretty big, it's like 600 pages. I've learned a lot of things that I kind of theorized were true based on my experiences, but having the evidence for it, for me, changes a lot about how I feel about it. So one of the things I've run into a lot in the past is I'll say something about jealousy or the emotion of jealousy, and someone will immediately jump in and say that jealousy isn't an emotion, or it's a secondary emotion, and regardless, what ever it is it's something that you learn and which you reasonably can relearn and control and remove to an extent that is large and dismissive to the idea that it ever points at anything relevant and important and this idea that it's societally constructed i didn't think that was the case but i didn't have any really sort of hard evidence that it's not the case, if that makes sense. I don't think
1: that, um, I don't know
0: if it's learned. So most of we are talking about things like blaming someone, that's a response to an emotion and the emotion mm-hmm. there is anger. It looks like jealousy might actually go the other direction. So one of the things that I thought was really fascinating in these studies was that they showed that babies, six-month-year-old babies had jealousy.
1: Mm-hmm. That's and why I said I don't think it's learned, I think it's, I think it's just a response.
0: Well, it's a response to stimulus. I've heard the term they use this, but it basically means a non-contentful response. So it's almost mechanical. So jealousy, the okay. starting point is almost a mechanical response to your surroundings. Now granted, as you get older, what you know informs and creates new heuristics, as we talked about before. Like once you make connections in the world about how things work, you create a new heuristic in your brain. So you create thought triggers as opposed to physical triggers for... The experience so think about learning as computer software as a metaphor which is a terrible metaphor on how it actually functions but it's a good metaphor in the sense that there's information that exists in like a mechanical system mm-hmm. that you have learned and that auto processes certain things in certain ways so if I was trying to describe it that way I would say that it looks like jealousy is in the circuitry like a circuit board so you can okay. hardwire a program so that it happens mechanically or you can program a program yeah and so the way that they were showing so the studies they did to show that babies have jealousy is they would take a six-month-year-old baby with their mom, and then they would have the mom either leave the room or just deadpan, dead face, look away, refuse to respond to the baby for some period of time, and they recorded their responses. Hmm. Then they gave the mom these, I don't know why they even have these, I guess, just for these tests, super lifelike babies that are so lifelike that in studies where they wanted around hospitals with them, hospital staff would get mad if you were mean to the fake baby. (laughs) So nurses would run over and be like, stop abusing your... Oh. But like they're super lifelike, they're soft, they actually make cooing noises. And I know one of the reasons they used them is they always produce positive responses. Mm -hmm. So they would have the mother engage with the baby actively and positively. And when that happened, then their children had totally different responses. It's a really good study. It has all the things you want to look for in a study like this. They had two separate blind coders, so they didn't know what the study was about coding for certain emotional responses based off a cue. If they didn't both agree on the total amount of time that the baby was displaying these heightened emotional senses, then they brought in a third coder to double check and see who they agreed with. And if no one could agree, they threw that one out. Hmm. The babies in the case of the mother's withdrawal, of course, make protest sounds. whereas mom? I'm sad. But in the case of another baby, they have options for responses, which is fascinating, which is one of the hallmarks of jealousy. A lot of the reason people don't think jealousy is hardwired is because it's so diverse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're jealous, you're like, I'm going to be super nice. The way that I'm going to be jealous is I'm going to cook you dinner and I'm going to be better than that person. And that's going to be awesome. And you're going to want to come back. That is not me. Sometimes when you're jealous, you're just yelling at people <laughs> and angry. And is that you? Yes.
1: Okay, but but or I'm a you, shut down person. I yeah, shut or down shut down. right, right. So withdrawal,
0: mm-hmm. which is an interesting one. So there's those are the three different things. You either protest loudly, you make yourself more appealing, or you withdraw. Mm-hmm they found all three of those behaviors in six-month-year-old babies in response to jealousy oh, wow. procs. So they either would yell much more loudly and angrily than they would for just being ignored or being left, or they would become much more solicitous, which either means dramatically increased staring, so trying to make eye contact with their parent, or what they call approach, so the baby would get up and try and move towards the parent. Some of them going so far as to almost climb up the parent's legs yeah. to get more attention and sort of break their attention from the, the doll. Yeah. Uh, other ones, of course, would become taciturn and quiet and just turn away and withdraw into a corner, which is a way to get attention, right? if your mom sees that you're Mm -hmm. in a corner crying, she's going to come over and pay attention to you. But we know that six-month-year-old babies cannot possibly be having the kind of thought process we think of that goes with jealousy, which is to see this other baby and go, oh no, that's a threat to my resources, and to have this right. like internal discussion that then triggers these responses. So it looks like that those responses, basically it's like the way we have a capacity for language, which is you don't start with language, but you're wired in such a way that if language is around you, you will always pick up language. So you're not actually like born babies, like as soon as they come out of the womb, don't have jealousy, but they have all these mechanical systems in place, so that as soon as they experience any kind of resource loss, they start building a jealousy response system Okay. because they've experienced they don't like when their mom leaves and so they start realizing that there's threats but it's not realizing in a, in a cognizant sense it's, it's more like a, again it's mechanical it just sort of happens automatically and it looks like the, those mechanical responses actually create the emotions and then those emotions create the responses
1: Okay.
0: So if you think about later when you feel really angry, it's actually this mechanical system figured out that something's bad and it just triggered anger as its defense mechanism. Okay. And depending on your experiences as as a person generally and as a baby, what kind of response you you're going to have, that, yeah. yeah, is going to be different in different scenarios based on every time you have that experience, it codes a little bit differently mm-hmm. how that mechanic is working inside of you. All right. Of course, we talked about the naturalistic fallacy before, which is just because something's natural doesn't mean it's ethical. So I'm not saying that right. because jealousy is native, it's an ethical thing to have jealousy and yell at people or be angry or do anything like that.
1: Well, I, you know, I want to I stop you and say jealousy in itself is ethical. Sure. Absolutely. Being a human being is it ethical. It's ethical, <laughs> <You> right. <laughs> Je- there's nothing wrong with jealousy. It's how you cope with that jealousy is where the ethics come in and, and where the, the differences come in.
0: But I do think if, it, if there's evidence <laughs> something is natural or non-natural can be important for strategies, for coping strategies. Right. So when people talk about gender being entirely constructed and wanting to break down the gender construct and wanting to remove that idea of gender, there's a lot of reason to think that gender as it's embodied is entirely constructed. Sexual difference obviously exists, but in an individual person that's an irrelevant statement. Right. There's such a, a huge divide in the possible expression of genes that, you know, even if you say something like, well, men are on average 40% stronger in upper body strength, all right, well, that means there's a woman out there that's stronger than 60% of men. Right. So if you're going to say, well, I'm just stronger than women, you're probably not. You're probably in the lower 60% category, and there's probably some women who are stronger than you. (laughs) And so... It's not useful to say things like, well, we shouldn't, and this is what we learned in in working spaces, you no longer say women can't be box loaders. You say women have to demonstrate they can lift 50 pounds. They say people have to demonstrate they can lift 50 pounds. It doesn't matter what your gender is, your gender identity, non-binary, whatever. As long as you can demonstrate that, you can do it.
1: Because my junk is not lifting it.
0: That's right. That is not the part of you that's lifting the (laughs) bus. So if you want to say things like, we should break down gender constructs and just treat individuals as individuals. When they come in for jobs, there's just no value in saying, you're a man or versus you're a woman, right? Right. And so we work on trying to break down those gender constructs. If something is incredibly native, it's not worth trying to break down. So in medicine, for instance, you know, if you have more estrogen or testosterone, you respond differently to medicines, depending mm-hmm. which one you have more of. So what you have the most of can be important to the treatment or the therapy they're going to give you. And it has to be taken into account when, oh, they're, yeah. when they're doing that kind of work. And you're not trying to completely deconstruct um, medical studies that are differentiated by sexual characteristics, because then you would have Medicine that you don't know how it applies. Right. Which is its own tricky moral quandary because it looks like medicine, you know, about racism issues. Medicine works way better if you design it or tailor it to what they call ancestor groups now. Mm-hmm. So it means group of genetically related individuals. Ancestors. And the thing that's really scary and, and fascinating, but scary, is that, for example, the leading medicine anticoagulant for heart surgery has a percent chance that you will basically bleed out because what it does is it's a blood thinner. Mm-hmm. And the way that most drugs work is is not immediately, they actually have to be metabolized by your body first and the rate at which you metabolize them determines how they work. So if you have a time release drug to thin your blood and your body super metabolizes it, it overthins your blood and that's problematic. And so they do this one genetic test to see if you have that unique element in your system. And what they found when they started doing that for some people is that it's like five to 7% in black populations. Wow. So the leading drug for heart medicine is significantly more risky if you're black because the medicines are tested on a quote-unquote even demographic of the country, and the country's still 60% white, so the medicines in general favor white people.
1: What's cool is I actually had that test done. Did you? Yeah, to see like what medications metabolize quicker and.
0: Yeah, and so there's a movement towards that individual customization of medicine through genetic testing, which is a great motion. It's awesome. But it's a really interesting and difficult issue because you want realistically medicines tailored for different ancestor groups. However, the minute you let medicine companies choose what ancestor group to worship, they're only going to be. Uh, I was like, what? <laughs> worship is right. I said, re- I meant research, but worship will. Yeah, work Yeah, worship works in that. Um, yeah. They're going to choose white people. Yeah unfortunately, and then you're not even going to get medicines that help other groups. So it's still illegal to even consider that in your research. So what you do instead is you do the research and then afterwards they do the studies retroactively and then try and prescribe them differently based on ancestor groups. No. The thought here is similar, which is jealousy isn't the kind of thing you can completely break down. So a response
1: like, well we have to learn how to break this down completely isn't going to help. No, no. And, and people who say that they never get jealous aggravate the piss out of me. Because you do, everybody gets jealous. Everybody gets jealous. They just deal with it way better than most people do. You know, they may only feel it for just a split second or they get jealous about something else. Right. Because the, it may not be what we all the rest of us get jealous about.
0: Right. It's like I am often noted for not getting tired for having debates. Right. I could debate 24-7, no. seven, seven days a week. And people are like, oh, you have so much mental energy. How can you handle that? But as soon as you put me in a room with a crowd, I turn into a little ball of sadness in a corner. Like, if it's a very large crowd of people, I don't know. Like, I love people I do know. So people I do know, I'm an ultra extrovert. Like I said, I would never be alone if I had the option. But if you send me to, like, a bar or a club, I'm just like...
1: <laughs> you know, last year, at APW, last year when we were here, there was, like, a bunch of people out there. And, and I... Michael knew me, so like every time I turned around, Michael was like right there with me. (laughs) I know this one.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I actually dragged her out of the party into the hallway to have the part, like the mead party with me, <laughs> so that I was not surrounded by large groups of people. And and so it's not that I don't, not that I don't get overwhelmed. This get overwhelmed by something that's not the standard thing that people get overwhelmed by. Most people, even introverts, don't get overwhelmed by parties. That's why they're so popular because it's actually easier for most people to handle. Yeah. So people go, oh, you never get overwhelmed. Well, and what jealousy, as it turns out, is is it's a response to perceived loss of resources.
1: Right. It is. It's the fear of loss for sure.
0: Right. Well, I'm going. I'm still on the science part of it for right now, so to separate loss from loss of resources, right? Where evolutionarily rich and that you see it in almost every species, most things aren't rich enough to end up... Like, you can study it in birds, you can study mm-hmm. it in mammals, and there's a lot of reason for that because a lot of species actually have tests as young as babies for who they're going to give their resources to mm-hmm. and let the other babies die, yeah. right? And so it's really... <laughs> (laughs) strong resource system but then like I said it's mechanical in the sense that it updates based on what experiences you have and then later once you can form complex cognitive thoughts you start deciding what's a resource loss so this is why you might see people in a monogamous relationship who've been told their whole life if your partner sleeps with somebody else they are leaving you. Have a massive negative jealousy response to finding out their partner wants to sleep with someone else because not so much that the having sex is a loss of resources to them because it's not in most meaningful ways in modern in the modern world with birth control that's not what's determining who has kids or when they have kids. So that's not an immediate resource loss. It's the fear that you're going to lose the intimacy, the closeness and even your entire relationship when that person goes out and is with Somebody else.
1: And just because they're going out and having sex with somebody else does not mean they're not coming home and having sex with you. Sure. You've not lost that resource. Right.
0: I didn't say that well but that's the point is that there's no immediate resource loss. Right. In your partner sleeping with somebody else off the bat and yet people have a jealousy response because they conceive that it is symptomatic of or going to lead to or the precursor to a significant well, loss been of some variety. That. Right because we've been taught that. Yeah. So what we can do is you can shift what looks like a resource lost to you and this is just a different way of the same language we have talked about before four which is what you want to do what you need to do is you need to figure out what your needs are and then that's the kind of language you can bring to people mm-hmm. and that's what jealousy is is proccing right so when you feel jealous it's because you feel like you're losing an important resource or are going to lose a resource and if you can have that conversation with your partner and say okay i'm feeling jealousy i'm not mad at you i don't think it's coming from you i want to talk through with you so we can get to the root of what I feel like I'm missing Mm -hmm. and we can talk about how we can get that need met in some way that I don't feel like I'm going to be missing in is a way to sort of refocus what you consider being jealous of but you're always gonna be jealous of things I mean people talk all the time and accurately and correctly right we talk about negative emotions being defenses against abusive behaviors as well and helping you maintain boundaries so if you set up a date night to guarantee that you get that one date a week that you agreed to and your partner just keeps ignoring that date night or blowing it off or going out with somebody else or then you're gonna get jealous because there's an actual resource loss and that's not an emotion that but then what happens in our community a lot of times is if you bring that to that person they go oh you're jealous that's not very poly of you
1: yeah no no you should be jealous in that in that situation you should be now yeah. I want I want to ask you something and mm-hmm. I know you're gonna be like ah this is not in in the outline but where does envy fall into that
0: you yeah, know that's actually a really good question because envy and jealousy get muddled a huge amount and it comes up in the literature a lot as something you have to disambiguate when you're talking about jealousy because jealousy is specifically the fear of loss of resources to another specific individual and of course we know that it's prompted most strongly in triadic situations meaning there's a dyad that has using resource sharing and then Mm -hmm. a third person enters that space that's going to give you your strongest response for jealousy. Envy is when you want something someone else has but you don't think that they took it from you or are a threat to you.
1: That's how I differentiate the two is jealousy is I want that back that's mine you can't have that whereas envy is I want that too. Mm
0: -hmm. Or instead. Or instead. I want to take that from you or I want it as well.
1: Yeah. Sure. Like when I see one of my partners doing something with someone that I would really like them to do with me as well, they don't have to stop doing it with that person. Mm -hmm. But I am a little envious of them because I would like that as well.
0: Right. And that's right. So people often conflate that. They see that and they get mad and they think that it's jealousy and that something's been going wrong. But it might just be envy and they can fix that by giving you both that resource. Right.
1: And I don't want i don't want the, you know, my meta to not have it. <laughs> I just like a little too. Sure. So to I me, that's envy. That. And then, but jealousy is, I want this back. You can't have it anymore.
0: Yeah. And so I've heard some really interesting coping strategies for preparing. Someone was reading a really great article about new couples coming into polyamory and what they should do first before. I don't remember what this is. I'm really bad that I don't have a citation for it. If I find it or if someone sends it to me, I'll add it.
1: I was going to ask you how you're doing without having your like... Notes and Google in front of you.
0: <laughs> well, I normally do that in advance. I have it, but I don't normally look at it. Oh. I do it and mostly remember it. But that this one was like someone told me in a discussion, and I thought it was a good idea, but I didn't. I didn't write the recitation, uh-huh. so I don't have it. But was that if you want to be, if you're thinking about opening up your relationship before you actually start looking for other people to date, you should sort of open it up to yourselves. So you should assign each of you a date night separate from the other person where you spend time with yourself, get to know yourself, take yourself out and do things alone. Go to a movie Yeah, go to a movie by yourself, whatever. And part of the reason for that is then two, three months down the road, once you've grown comfortable with that, if you give up your date night to date someone new, there's no resource loss. Whereas if you're used to being a monogamous dyad and you have spent all every minute with everyone, with your partner and any minutes that they take, you've lost. You not only have jealousy, but you have legitimate jealousy, which is a lot harder to talk through because you have literally lost a resource that you had access to. And especially when one partner finds a first date before another partner, Mm -hmm. the partner that hasn't found a date yet is in a lot worse position. Jealousy that I have experienced is almost always if I'm in like a dating slump and my partner starts dating someone, I'm like, come on, I wanted to go out tonight, I wanted to see someone (laughs) and, you know, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose even more time. Like, if you really like them, you're going to see them a lot and then what am I going to do? I don't even I
1: have this huge gap of space in my hands. Yeah. My jealousy comes from when, like, my partner and I aren't doing well, Mm -hmm. and I see them doing well with someone else. Sure. And that's when I'm like, oh, well, now I'm losing. Mm -hmm. It's it's a contest then.
0: Well, and in statistics... For jealousy, I'm always, you know, uh, female identifying participants majorly respond and respond much stronger to emotional jealousy cues like that, so increased intimacy or a sense that the partner is more connected to another person, whereas men respond much more strongly, again, on average not for individuals, to sexual cues and Mm -hmm. to basically just pure time, So because that's a sexual cue in a sense, right? Like, you're going to spend all night with that person, you're going to sleep over at that person's Mm -hmm. house, and so, again, not universal, but it is likely that if you're talking to a female identified person that they're going to say they're going to get more jealous about the connection, the level of connection and sort of emotional intimacy. Right. Whereas that the person has whereas
1: male identifying people are yeah. more likely. Yeah. Right. Well, the the touching and mm-hmm. the feeling mm-hmm. and the physical is what
0: yeah, yes. yeah, and and the sources do kind of end up together because if you're having a spat with your partner, I don't know about everyone, but I know I don't like to be touched when I'm angry with the person that I'm angry at. Right. Like my partner wants me. to touch you when I'm mad at them, and I'm don't like, don't touch me.
1: <laughs> I have to
0: talk about that, and sometimes I do, depending on what I can take. You know, I try and mm-hmm. think it through, but but a lot of times, like, if I'm really bad, I'm like, I need space. Like I just I need space. But I'm not going to be that My way with a partner that I'm not mad bubble. at. You know, and so I can yeah. see that being really hard as well, that there's both an intimate connection and a physical connection.
1: Mm-hmm. So then how do you deal with that? How do you deal with legitimate jealousy?
0: Talking. Lots and lots of talking. But But not only talking, but aiming at where, like basically aiming at control of the resources, figuring out what resources you need, having a discussion about res- what resources you want and what resources you're willing to trade, because obviously you have less access to certain resource in a non- resources in a non-monogamous context. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason why monogamy is such a hard loop to get out of. Because people who are in it, even if they're miserable, as soon as they try and step out, they get these incredible sense of jealousy Mm -hmm. and it pulls them right back in. The number one thing I hear when I'm talking to new people and I go through all of this stuff with them, like, that sounds amazing, that would be the best, I wish I could live a life like that. But I'm I'm too jealous jealous to let my partner do it. I could do it, but if my partner did it, I couldn't take it. And the thing is, of course, you get those resources back. A lot of times, even from the same... Partner. In my experience, the forced dyadic space creates a, a just a natural thing where you see each other less and less. Like, mm-hmm. if, when I go like a year without either of us having other partners, a lot of times I find myself seeing my partner less than when I have another
2: partner. Yeah.
0: Because I just. Start looking for meaning in other places eventually. Like mm-hmm. that gets to be routine. And then I'm like, all right, well, I need to go work harder. I need to work on my research. I need to work on my, you know, getting paid. I need to work on getting promoted. We should work on having another kid. We should work on getting my kid to do things. We should get into summer camp. I should go help the summer camps. And then I realized I haven't seen my wife in like two weeks. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> strange. And so I think like many things, the idea that adding partners automatically costs you resources is illusory because fundamental they do. truth of
1: adding partners causes loss of resources.
0: Mm. But there's a lot of different types of resources.
1: But, but I mean, still, as a general, adding another partner causes loss of resources.
0: I don't know. I think I'm going to disagree. I, I think it causes... How? Okay. All right. All right. All right. So <laughs> this, the fundamental thing about being a person is, as a pack animal, we we'll accomplish more together whenever we're working on something, right? Okay. So when you add more people to your group... You have a higher efficiency and a higher level of accomplishment. Like if you have for these people who've had multiple partners at the same time, you've experienced that. At least for me, I'm more present with each of my partners. Being with one partner for a while makes me want to be with the other partner. You know, the the positive endorphins and other um, bonding chemicals always in humans call up all of your bonds. Mm-hmm. So like when you're with someone and you're having oxytocin responses, you're gonna your brain's gonna trigger for other people you have oxytocin responses with. Hmm. You're gonna think of your other partners. You're gonna think of your children, not you know in a, in a positive way like when you're very happy and it makes. You want to go back and and I have the mental energy to do it you know that when I get tired when I get burnt out when I don't have enough socialization when I don't feel like I am connecting in the way that I want I end up spending the majority of my time overcoming that like mm-hmm. it's going to take me three hours to get up get my morning coffee and get out the door because I'm just so tired that nothing motivates me right you know and then you add somebody that's that is new and exciting and you're having these great new experiences with and you just pop out of bed at five in the morning and you're like, I'm ready to go to work and I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff and you get home early and you make time to see your partners. And I think that as humans, you actually, like I said, when you're working in groups, you do more, but it is gonna be somewhat different resources. The resource you lose is the unlimited, is is actually, in my experience, mostly um, a theoretical resource. So in theory, when you're in a dyadic relationship, the other person will give you an infinite amount of their time if you ask for it, or if you right. want it.
1: Well, then so that's the problem, though. The time is finite. The time is finite. So that, to me, is the number one resource that you lose. When you add another partner, you have to split that time up. So it's... Maybe it's
0: just a problem with me, then, because whenever I have another partner, I spend about twice as much time with both partners.
1: You only have 24 hours in a day, Michael. I know. I spend a lot
0: of that time doing nothing. <laughs> I spend a lot of that time working or being depressed or doing nothing. So,
1: yes, it is just you, because I have no time during the day where I'm doing nothing.
0: Well, you have a lot of relationships. Polysaturation okay, poly- <laughs> poly- <laughs> poly- is still a thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And polysaturation <laughs> includes not just partners that are romantic or sexual, but children, um, jobs, jobs, you know, whatever your total level is. So yes, if you are adding partners to a polysaturated environment, and maybe we should talk about that as an entirely separate episode, it's a whole different type of jealousy because then it is legitimately nothing but asking people to cut back some of their resources so that right. you can increase your happiness, which is not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do either, no, I mean, but it's, but it's a
1: different fair, problem. But to be you kind of get to make your own schedule at work. Right. Whereas I would say the majority of people have a set schedule. So we have those, that time resources mm-hmm. gone. You kind of get to go, eh, I don't, you know, I want to be home or I want to be with, be with this partner during this. We can't do that. So <laughs> then there's there's a finite amount of hours left in the day. Whether I have two partners or five partners, Mm -hmm. I still have to choose who I spend my time with. They still have to share me with all the other things in my life.
0: I may also historically only date introverts. Not intentionally; it's not my goal. <laughs> but the amount of time that my partners want to spend with me is always dramatically less, right? Than like I would spend with them given right. the opportunity.
1: And I don't. I mean, I don't date needy people, but they, it's definitely they do want time. Well, that's not
0: bad. I would not complain if my partners wanted. More I'm not time. complaining. I'm not, I'm like, just no, no, I'm, I was agreeing with you yeah. that it wasn't bad. That you said they're not needy, and I was yeah. saying I don't think
1: that's neediness. No, I mean, I have definitely dated needy people and God, you can't do that. It's a reality. That loss of resources is there. It's a reality for most of us. Sure,
0: sure, sure. I was thinking, not disagreeing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I like, I want to know how you deal with that or how other people deal Mm -hmm. with that. How do you go to another partner and say, hey, I want to take some of your time away because I want to spend it with someone else That's, without triggering the jealousy. Sure. Well, or, I don't
0: Well, I don't think the goal should be to avoid triggering jealousy. I think the goal should be to go to them and say, I am prepared to talk with you and work with you right. until you are comfortable with what's going on. I understand that this is going to trigger a jealous response. And I think you should remove the blame from that equation so they feel free to have that response. Because the one thing we know is that if you respond negatively to people's emotions, they just hide them. Right. So if you go to them and go, I want to do this, and they act a little bit jealous or frustrated, and you're like, don't be frustrated at me. The next time, they'll just pretend they're not mad, mm-hmm. but they will be mad. And I think to acknowledge and accept their emotional response and experience is entirely a huge key I think for going to them and saying here's what I want to do but I think if you're being really fair to them you have to understand that it might also you know we talk a lot about when things may not be compatible but Mm -hmm. you know that there may be a boundary on how much time you're already spending with them where you go and you say I want to take some more time back to do something and they say well this is the the minimum minimum amount amount of time that you spend with me already that makes me feel healthy and happy in our relationship and I don't want to go lower than that. You know, depending on how much time you're seeing someone, I don't think that's a necessarily illegitimate response either. And I think it's an important question of polysaturation, not just if you feel that way, but if your partners feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things in all the readings that we've been doing recently on the updates on the Survivor Pod is that a lot of the partners are saying that that Franklin just kept adding new partners when he didn't already have enough time to meet their needs and then taking even more time from them. And then when they would come to him, he would go, you're acting jealous, you're not being very poly, you know, I should have this right, you don't own me. and it's like, okay, yeah, but again, in you know, to reference, the autonomy is not a cudgel episode. Those things are true, but you're still being unconsidered people who you supposedly care about. You're still breaking commitments and hurting people rather than talking it through with them and giving them consent. Because you could go talk to them and say, I want to do this. If that means you want to break up with me, I understand, but I need, like, this is something that I need. Right. You know.
1: And I hate that. I hate that phrase. You're being jealous. You're not being very poly right now. Right. Like I want to punch people when they say that. That's just stupid to me.
0: Oh, for me, the idea that there's one right way to do poly is itself
1: right, <laughs> aggravating. Yeah, but the the whole like you're jealous, you're not doing poly very well. Sure, and this is- Human right now, not poly. (laughs) Having having
0: the the right to have an emotional response without having the right to bludgeon someone with it, so to speak. So yes, you should be able to feel jealous and you should be able to take that to your partner and say, I feel jealous, I'm uncomfortable with it and I wanna talk through with this to you till we can get to a point where I won't feel that way anymore and we can find a way to make this work. I mean, you can't always find that because there's incompatibilities. So maybe you won't be able to make that work or maybe they won't be able to make that work and still see another partner. I wish there was always an answer to everything that was like, and you could have everything you want every time if you do it a certain way. But like you said, the final straw is the time ends up being finite and Mm -hmm. energy and resources end up being finite. And that's the reason we have jealousy to begin with is because there's an actual risk of significant loss when too many resources are pulled. And there's a significant benefit to us when we have resources directed at us by other human beings. And so we are hardwired to basically gather people's attention and resources and then try and hold on to it against potential threats to the loss of those resources. Yeah.
1: If anybody has any questions or has anything to say, just kind of walk up.
0: Yeah, if you walk up to the mic, we'll just stop and we get to a stopping point and let you talk. We'll stop and we'll bring the whole
1: room's attention to you.
0: (laughs) Okay, so to go back, though, to some of the the theoretical underpinning that being poly might actually give you more resources, even if it's not immediately. It does. Right, is that you then get the opportunity to source resources from other people.
1: We've talked about this before. You kind of view this the same way. Like, being poly definitely gives me resources because I have children. So I Mm -hmm. have other partners who can maybe, when my children were younger, they could watch my children if I went out with another partner. and and So that was great. Yeah,
0: like a primary concern about resource loss for sure is if you have a nesting partner who you have kids with and they start Mm -hmm. dating someone, you're like, oh no, who will have this extra kid duty? But that's a short-term loss of resources that in a long-term space, if the relationship is intending to go that way, obviously, if it's like a night out, it's different. But if the intention is long-term, then it provides the opportunity potentially for that person, if they're willing and you're not coercing them, to provide child care at a later point if it's something that they become interested in and you
2: actually get more resources to go out. Can we say your name? I'm in a long-term relationship. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my partner does react with jealousy. Yeah, no, and it's always an important moment ever where, like,
0: you should be super understanding because then relatively quickly somebody calls in and is is like, oh, it was so great. I was super understanding and it fixed everything. And I go, oh, no, no, that's abuse. Don't do that.
2: Other times,
1: not so much focus on me and wanting to get what I deserve, but more wanting to know when it's time to let her work that through and go ahead and do what I wanted to do. In both cases, though,
2: I'm I'm behind the best interest of Harvard. Right. Yes. Okay, so the concern is when and if you should accommodate by removing the source of jealousy. I am not
0: 100% sure that that's something. I didn't when I said accommodate, I meant make time to have the conversation and compensate for the mm-hmm. source of jealousy. I did not mean to remove the source of jealousy yeah. unless unless you're literally going over an important polysaturation line, like you're literally removing resources this person needs to be healthy and happy from them. You've gone way too far like I see my, my living partner who has kids with me once every 3 weeks, okay? Maybe you've okay. maybe they they know, have a legitimate maybe. complaint and you need some of those resources yeah, back.
1: i say unless you're 100% comfortable with removing what's making the jealousy happen, do not do it.
0: Can you give me an example of a source of jealousy that you think could be removed? She sure. doesn't want me to go
1: out, doesn't want me to make plans. Or maybe she had other plans that I didn't know about or something like that. Uh There's a balance there, right, between wanting to accommodate the other person and respond to their needs and take care of their needs versus wanting to go out
2: and do your own thing.
1: Right.
2: Uh, well, I would, no I know
1: what my answer would be, but well, let's start with Mandy's because it's going to be shorter. <laughs> yeah. You do what you want to do. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's basically it. That's True. what, if you've been looking forward to this date for two weeks and you really want to go to this date, you're not going to be any help to your other partner anyway, because your mind's going to be on that date anyway, if you cancel it, you, you see what I'm saying? So you're not you're not a resource to your partner, even if you stay home, because you don't want to be home. You want to be out on your date. I would do what Michael suggested and, and to sit down and that's when you make an accommodation to talk about the jealousy and talk about what, I'm going to be crass here. <laughs> Cut this if you want to. If it was so important for you to stay home that night with her, she should have communicated that to you in advance. You know, and I understand that some partners will have crisis come up and you've got to deal with that on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But if this is like the anniversary of her dad's death or something along those lines, that should have been talked about ahead of time and things should have been done too, maybe two weeks ago you should have rescheduled and did that. But you don't, like if it's not high-dev, no. You go on your date.
0: I actually agree with that a lot, but... I would also add additional elements, like you said, if it's a particularly hard night, maybe if it's hard because there's kids, offer to hire a babysitter. If they thought you were gonna build IKEA furniture, offer to hire a task rabbit. Yeah. You know, do do a compensation gesture for the thing that they said that they're missing from you in that context. But you should have systems in place already for how you decide when you're going yeah. on dates with other people, that if those systems are being met, if now if you made a mistake, you forgot. Like it is some an important anniversary, you up. knew that you were supposed to do that, they told you months in advance, and you just thought, like you knew that dates. but you forgot what day and so you were like, oh, I'm free Thursday, and it was empty and you couldn't remember why, because I do that a lot. I leave days open to schedule things for like business work, like work that I'm doing, and then I schedule social activities in it, and then I call back and go, oh, I have work all day because I had a different calendar and didn't see that. That's a legitimate thing, but that happens in regular day-to-day life, and so then you call your partner and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I knew months and months and months ago that this was this important anniversary, that I was supposed to be here for it, and I forgot I made that mistake, and then with the secondary part, you say, oh, how do I make that up to you? What
1: can I do to make this better?
0: The same way you would if you had an important business meeting that yeah. you blacked out but forgot it was there, and it's like, I have a presentation my whole career depends on. You're not going to go and go, well, I had a musical date, so I got to go to my musical date, right? Like, obviously there are things where you you made the mistake and the mistake's on you, and there's a system for what that looks like. And the system should be the kind of system that's fair to both partners and that both partners benefit from, i.e. if later you have a date with your primary partner and your secondary partner had an important anniversary that they told you about that you forgot your primary partner, then you got to go to and go, remember how we have that D that if there's a super important thing that I forget I have to go do it still. <laughs> this is I got to yeah. go do it still. If there's anything I can do to make this up to you, yeah. I'm going to do that. We'll talk about it. I'll, you know, be around. Yeah. If you can do it early enough that you can have the conversation in advance, that's great. You tell them as soon as you know, you apologize profusely. But no, I don't I don't think you you don't cut other people. People aren't you know you don't break commitments to other people because if you're in a situation where your primary partner's quote needs continue to require you to break commitments to other people there's something fundamentally unhealthy about that relationship for any other people you're dating and the way that i respond to partners that do stuff like that to me is i tell them you can do whatever you have to do but my relationship with you is between me and you so if you're canceling on me you're canceling on me it's yeah. not canceling for your wife It's not, you know, whatever else you're doing, you are canceling on me and I'm going to treat that the same way as if I was in like a single relationship with just you and there was no other person and you kept canceling on me all the time and not treating my time as valuable and refusing to meet your commitments, which is I'm going to leave. You know, that's just unhealthy and it's not something that I want you to do. And then I say the opposite, which is if they say, well, is your your partner going to interfere with our date? I say, no. Mm -hmm. My job as having a relationship with you is to have a relationship with you and I am not going to let my inner stuff from this other partner attack you because that's not your job to deal with
1: and and I would suggest you know if you come up into that situation you know and you were supposed to build Ikea furniture with that night with her <laughs> that night and you forgot you know offer solutions you know like hey I know that I fucked up and I have this state tonight and I know that that building the Ikea furniture is important to you is there any way that we can do it first thing in the morning I can try and maybe not stay out so late tonight mm-hmm. so that I can get up with you first thing in the morning and build the furniture with you. Would that be all right? Don't you have Google? You know, and we could go to breakfast. You know, make it up to them and do it sincerely if you you forget or if you double. I double book all the fucking time. (laughs) So uh, I'm the pro at. (laughs) Shut up, David. (laughs) Don't you have Google? We do have Google Calendar. And I go, yeah, I'm going to put that in the calendar as soon as I get there. (laughs) And I go about my business and it never gets put in. And then somebody's like, we're going to the movies on Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's awesome. There's nothing on the calendar. And then Thursday night, we're still good for Friday. Fuck. (laughs) No, actually, we're not still good for Friday. Let me see what I can move around and, and figure this out. I would also generally say if it's not something that
0: you would do to any one partner, you should very carefully think about why you would do it to another partner
1: because you're gonna run into couples privilege
0: yeah because obviously that's what that is at that point that's couples privilege and and you know if you have an agreement that's also different like I know people who do want to be secondary partners they don't want the level Mm -hmm. of commitment or need and they want to only be seen every so often and part of the deal is you're my secondary partner if my partner needs something I'm gonna run off and you're gonna be by yourself and they're fine with that and if that's your deal that's cool because you already discussed how you're gonna handle these conflicts which is what you should have done anyway you should have discussed with all your partners how you're going to handle these sorts of conflicts and make sure that everyone's happy with the like the triage system you're going to employ because obviously if your primary partner gets there any partner trips and falls on a staircase and gets rushed to the emergency room your other partner should let you go like oh you're in a date don't care i'm going to the emergency room just like i would if any other important person in my life fell down a flight of stairs that's where i'm going to be now that's the kind of conversations you should have so if they have expectations. And again, it's one of those things where in in non-monogamy you just have to have more conversations because most of us have built-in sociatorial scripts, like society auto-ranks like injury, then important occasion, then, you know, among individuals, but they don't have an automatic script for if you have multiple people at the same, right? So we have relationships before friends, before, you know, but kids before relationships, before friends, you know, like, mm-hmm. so it's already built, baked into the, the the pie, so to speak. But of course, we've talked about how you also end up in different cultural groups where those are inverted, like relationship, then kids, versus kids, then relationship, and you guys fight because you never had that conversation. Right. And you both think the other person's violating the built-in social contract, so you should always have this conversation. Hey you just didn't notice it as much before you were fielding multiple relationships at the same time
1: so so to build on paul's question i had a partner of a partner of a partner because only in poly that used to pull (laughs) right she she was my mega (laughs) metamorph. yeah she would pull the panic attack card all the time Mm -hmm. so the person in the middle will just call him george i don't know george would have time with his with partner a scheduled Mm -hmm. and they would be in the middle of it and partner b always seemed to have a panic attack in the middle of it and need george to drop everything and go tend Uh to her and it was so funny how she always had these panic attacks in the middle of the date with partner a
0: and it is, but also it's entirely possible that that's just causing emotional stress that she hadn't coped with on a conscious level right. that actually caused a legitimate panic attack. So from their perspective, they just had a panic attack and didn't know why. Because right. for the people that I have been with who, and just friends I've also been with, who have panic attacks, they usually don't know why. Right. And they'll even no, say I mean, there's I not I have a panic triggering attacks. or And sometimes
1: event. I know why and sometimes I don't. Right. But it was just, it was um pattern said. Right. Well, I said it, it was tricky was, as yeah. a starting point. Yeah. Uh, so it... it <sighs> It's really hard sometimes to gauge that, whether you need to drop everything and go. Sure. And eventually, partner A got sick and fucking tired of it mm-hmm. and said, you know, that's it. Don't don't make plans with me because I know that we're not going to be able to finish a date anyway.
0: Sure. Yeah, and obviously, I don't know all the conversations between the first time that happened and the last time that happened. There was a lot. <laughs> if I was in that situation after probably the second or third time, I would try and get the partner with the panic attacks to go to couples counseling with me is the first thing that i would try and do and look obviously poly-friendly couples counseling right um or coaching or whatever you can whatever's accessible to you it may have to be online it may have to be remote it may have to be you know yeah there were multiple
1: discussions and it just wouldn't stop
0: but i would start with that and then i would look at i mean that person had panic attacks before they had a partner too right mm-hmm. and so at some level they were able to cope with some amount of panic attacks without their partner did they have any other partners do you know mm-hmm. all right so they had other partners so i would have
1: that was the partner that made them feel good
0: Sure, sure. (laughs) Well, and and again, this is about polysaturation, right? And this is a sort of an extreme version of polysaturation. If you have a partner that needs that level of time from you and you can't go out on these other things, you might have to choose between being with them and being poly at all if anyone triggers that. Right. If you see a pattern, I mean it's obviously abusive if you start to see a pattern like right. they use it to control who what type of people you're dating. So like right. some people it's fine and some people they always have a panic attack about and they end up you end up breaking up with that person. Mm-hmm. Then you've ended up with someone who is you're being
1: manipulated. Yeah,
0: being manipulated yeah. either consciously or unconsciously. I don't necessarily know they're doing it on purpose. Maybe
1: not, but, but, but if, they're still doing but it. But you
0: don't want to and then you have to decide if that's the kind of life you want to be in. But right. if it is, you need to start thinking really carefully about adding new partners because you're subjecting them to a manipulation by another partner and like I my perception of relationships is that in the end everything starts at as much as this is sort of weird for poly people is is dyadic Mm -hmm. right so if I have five partners I have five dyadic relationships right and then maybe they each also have a dyadic relationship and then there's also you know triadic relationships and quadratic relationships that are all built into that space Mm -hmm. but at the very most fundamental level how you treat your partner is important. You would not say at a job that called you away every time you were on a date, that called you away every time you were on, a, on your day off, long term because that would be not meeting the needs of the partner that you had agreed to live with and work with at home. Right. So I would not do that for a job and therefore you have to think about why well you know would I do that for this partner? And if you are willing to do that then you need to stop adding other partners until you get that resolved because you're just har- you're creating harms for other people mm-hmm. that you know are coming. Like you're like okay, well the last three times I've gotten a new partner, you've had a panic attack at every single date and it's never happened. Right. So at that point it's reasonably foreseeable. So the the sort of moral burden for harms is under reasonable Foreseeableness. Mm-hmm. If you could see it coming, and we're pretty sure it was going to happen, and then it did, that's on you. Like yeah. you.
1: So in that case, the partner A, I don't feel was jealous. I feel she was envious mm. because it, it wasn't jealous because she didn't. She didn't necessarily not want partner B to have. Him there for her, Mm -hmm. but she also wanted that partner there for her, and it always felt like he wasn't because he had to leave and go be with partner B all the time. Well,
0: from what you said, I don't know if they sounded jealous or envious. I think they just sounded like, I'm pissed off. Why am I in a relationship if I'm getting no no connection out of it at all? Like, it's it's more, I think that's more of a boundaries issue. Like, what do you want out of a relationship? Why are you even in a relationship? I'm in a relationship to be able to have these social engagements that I can rely on and to be with someone that I can have in my times of need, and you can't perform any of those functions. Right. So you basically just don't qualify as a relationship <laughs> for me anymore. And it's frustrating because you say you want to be a relationship and I want you to be a relationship, but you are not willing to meet any of my basic needs or desires. Right. And therefore, I'm just getting nothing. So I need to go.
1: Yeah. And and today they are not together. That sounds right. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I, I would definitely tried Pride to if you could have gotten the partner that had the anxiety to counseling as a starting point because I really I don't ever want to start from the position of invalidating someone's neurodivergence or, oh, me- yeah, or mental health know. issues at all like that's I've been with a lot of people who have those that are very legitimate and they're significant and they, they do need help working through them and it happens but again if you decide to take on that role it'd be like you know if your partner's Suffering from a sort of a significant illness that requires a lot of time and care and attention, mm-hmm. where you have to stay home and take care of them eight hours a day, you also shouldn't go out and get a date, right? If it's if you don't have space for that in the needs that that person has. Right. So then, like I said, that's why I'd be mad not at the not at the person who is doing performing the anxiety attacks in worst case scenario performing. So maybe right. not, but in worst possible case scenario, like they were right. actually manipulating. And that's the thing that happens a lot in polyamory: people get mad at the metamor instead of the partner, and it is the partner.
1: It's the partner, the partner that's making is, the decision. They're allowing
0: that to happen mm-hmm. to you. And the partners who you have the relationship with as well. Like, that metamore doesn't owe you anything other than, like, basic human kindness right. um, and, like, basic human decency, yeah. which it's, is a, a pretty thin line.
1: It's definitely the partner <laughs> who is allowing the other relationship to dictate your relationship.
0: Yeah, and I don't necessarily mean it, you should be angry at them, but you should hold them accountable in the sense of you should be analyzing, like, my relationship is what it actually is. It is not what it would be if this person stopped having panic attacks, it's let us objectively look at how often I see my partner, how often they make their commitments, how often they keep their commitments, and then hold them accountable to that and go, you're just a bad partner. Mm-hmm. You don't ever show up, you never stay. I understand you have these pretty legitimate reasons, but you knew you had those reasons before we started dating, and you haven't done anything, or if they started popping up after only, right. you haven't done anything to resolve those issues in like a timely and fair manner, right. and you haven't drawn hard lines. Like You could draw the hard line of once every two weeks, you just have to call a different partner. Because mm-hmm. if we break up, you'd have to call a different partner anyway. Anyway,
1: right. So, and you got through them before yeah. without the partner. So I
0: will come when you need it, but at least once every two weeks, I'm going to see this other partner, and whatever happens, I'm staying out right with them and you need to go talk to somebody else because you're going to navigate these things one way or the other
1: yeah and partner a even went so far as to say okay no cell phones on our date and the center partner didn't feel like he could do that he felt worried about the other partner then and concerned and she just said fuck it i'm not
0: Yeah, and that's the right response, right? So when that person says, you know, I would say it like this. I'd say, clearly the person you're with has medical needs that are so severe from your perspective that you do not have time to have a healthy relationship with anyone else. Right. So you should go handle that, which is fine. I understand your commitment and desire to have that commitment, but I am not going to put myself in the position of constantly being on the altar of that problem. Right.
1: All right. So now how do you handle it when you've got multiple partners and you get jealous specifically with one partner but not the other ones Hmm. so (laughs) and so normally when i talk about this kind of shit my partners aren't actually in the next room and people have access to them so Uh (laughs) i'm usually uh, like across the country and but um okay so i experience a lot more jealousy with ryan Mm -hmm. than i do with jerry Mm -hmm. or any other partner for that matter most of my other partners I don't experience a lot of jealousy with just twinges here and there but when it comes to Ryan I'm much more jealous Mm-hmm. And I have no idea why.
0: Okay, so I said, do you have an idea why?
1: I don't. Okay. I don't. And he's the same way. Uh-huh. Besides Jerry, he doesn't give a shit about Jerry. Sure. Jerry was there before yeah. him, mm-hmm. and there's that whole. We'll, like... We'll, we'll do that one definitely yeah.
0: at the end. Real quick. But um, <laughs> so one thing I will say is jealousy mirroring is a significant thing. So I had literally never experienced jealousy with a partner yeah. until the. And this is that one also monogamous, but the remember the ex I told you that's like abusive, right? Right. For how jealous they are, mm-hmm. I was super jealous in that relationship because they were super jealous, right? So did you feel? You needed to be because they were? No, it was more like, well, if I'm not allowed to go out and be around a female because I might cheat on you, you? why are you going to a club and like having a DJ riding on your stomach? No, no, it was more like if there's a legitimate fear here, if you're worried that being around the opposite gender means you'll cheat, that I'll cheat. Is that because that's what you will do? Ah, okay. right. Like is right. it was more like people draw from our own experiences to determine safety zones, right? Right. So why is it that you think that me being around anyone who's a female, even the thing that we ended up breaking up about, as you know, was me spending time with my best friend's wife? Right. Like, okay. So you I, saying that has just
1: made it entirely worse for me. So now I'm like, oh my god. Well, you is don't know. So, is he you, jealous because he's cheating on me? Or,
0: or is he jealous because you're somebody? Jealous. Go
1: get him. <laughs> Am I jealous?
0: What? Or is he jealous because you were jealous? Maybe he was more jealous because you displayed jealousy symptoms, right? The thing is, jealousy again—it's mechanical in a lot of ways. It's not necessarily rational, so it isn't. Right. So I had that thought process, but also we don't know that that's what started the thought process, right? Because we know that once you have a negative emotion, you look to assign blame for it, and then mm-hmm. you create the reason, but that might not have been the reason Original that actually one. caused yeah. it. So that's what my that's my backward thinking thought about why that happened. But what I actually I, I mean, I do think that jealousy triggers for for the other person being jealous of you. I think that's one question. You now, does he have less experience with being poly? Yeah. Okay. So, well, we'll have to go now to the, why are new partners scarier than old partners? Right. Right,
1: so... And that's that's not just in my relationship. No, that that's across the board. That's everywhere. almost every... Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is shaking their head for mm-hmm. people who are listening. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the room is shaking its head, yes. So, if you... You know, for a lot of people, that's
0: a super huge struggle because obviously I'm more, much more jealous of my partner that I, Lissa, that I had when we started, when we opened up our relationship to become poly. Right. I have been and continue to be jealous and have to work through those issues with her whenever she does something with other people that I have never experienced for new partners. I've never experienced jealousy for new partners. That
1: comes from, that jealousy stems from fear of the Mm -hmm. unknown. Sure. Right, well, because I have this long history.
0: So there's, there's both sides of the coin. So I was doing that side first. Okay. So there's this long history there of... Of having, we were to, you know, even though we were discussing polyamory and trying to get dates basically since the first six months we were together, mm-hmm. we didn't succeed at doing that for like four years. So I have and four I have years space. of only being me, only having to be like me, I not having to share her and attention. And right. And also, me. as I pointed out, she is an extreme introvert to the pay- case that half the time, if you ask her her favorite thing about poly, she's like getting a break. Michael goes and does off with somebody else, and I have space, and I don't feel guilty about that space, and I don't feel like I need to do things for him, and he's not just around going, hey, you free? You free? What's going on?
1: You know. <laughs> on a side note, last year, listen, listen, your son were, were gone for a lot of it. And I'm like, oh, no, I, hate that she, I hate that she's not down here doing classes and stuff. And you're like, she's really happy just being in the hotel room without me. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. So, so I have a significant fear
0: of the fact that as an extreme introvert, I am definitely worried that if she puts any of her social energy into someone that's not me, I'll have less.
1: Right. Okay. So because that's there's so little of that resource, of resources,
0: yeah, and it's already a level at which is difficult for me. That I'm very concerned about that, and we have to have that conversation. I've, you know, I've told her. I said, like, I'm. You know, I'm going to have these negative emotional responses. I can't I can't help that. I don't want that to change the way that you date. Like I want mm-hmm. you to make the choices that you want to make. And of course it still does, right? So she still makes some choices because she just thinks like is going on this date worth creating a negative emotion that I'm going to have to have a conversation about? And I am sad for that. It. And it is. And sometimes it's worth yeah. it and sometimes it's not. And so I just want to I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm still making it harder right. for her to date than I want to, but I don't know how to do less than have an emotional response and if your response and not want to deal with it then.
1: Right. But I think that I think one of the best ways to deal with that is that because you know that Alyssa has to make that decision mm-hmm. if, if this date's important enough to elicit a negative response from you do you have my to deal is, with it then that person the is important enough to her so her. on the flip side of that coin you should be happy that she's found somebody that that's important enough yeah. to do that but getting to that place over that jealousy hurdle is the hard part
2: so, Oh, I don't necessarily have to do
0: that, but she's afraid that I'm gonna have a negative response even if I don't demonstrate it visibly to her. And some of the processing I do have to do, I have to do the processing part where we talk about if my needs are still getting met, that part has to be done with her at a certain mm-hmm. point. But most of it I don't have to do with her, and I've told her she doesn't have to do it with me. But so just because you tell someone that they don't have to do something doesn't mean that they don't your want emotion, to it do it. And I mean, I'm not saying that that's the case. I don't 100% know right. what her internal state looks like, obviously.
2: I'm just saying I like to try and be as open as I can do with the things that I do, maybe not as well as possible. Or Correct. That's what I meant by not wanting to
0: deal with it. I don't mean like not wanting to fix it. I meant more she dislikes the idea of causing a negative emotion, even though I said like I really, really don't want you to make choices based on that. I want you to make choices based on the assumption that if that exists, that's work I need to do on myself and that I will do on myself and that I want to do on myself. But I'm also not going to tell you you have to go date someone so that I can do this work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you make that choice for yourself.
1: But, you know, I don't. I don't know that I would ever be like go date someone so I can get over my jealousy. Um, That's that's strong right there, yeah. and I'm not that person.
0: <laughs> well, and it's more that I wouldn't say that because I wouldn't want to tell them they have to do something. Right. I mean, dating someone because that turns the person that they end up dating into an objectified object at that point. Well, right? you're objectifying yeah, Lisa as well. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'm telling, just
1: using her. <laughs> well, that that's true
0: for me, but then the person that she would be dating exists as like a marital aid right. instead of as an actual human being. She's dating, so I wouldn't do that. But
1: one of the things that Ryan and I do because we do have that jealousy and we know we're very communicative about it, we know that. About each other. So, we really try and touch base Mm -hmm. fairly often about our other partners. Like, hey, do you have any questions? Do you need to know anything? What are your fears? What are you afraid of? What can I do to maybe calm those a little bit? Is there anything that you have concerns about? Or is there anything that I have concerns about? You know, maybe I don't like when this is happening. It makes me feel this way. Mm -hmm. So, we touch base. Especially when we have, like, I have a new partner. And so that's been kind of difficult for him. Mm -hmm. We've been touching base a lot with that. And it's really hard to do with him because you have to pry shit out of Ryan. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you've seen the, the big dude that's doing massages but that's my other partner and he is very 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 quiet and he's like that at home too (laughs) so you have to pry information out of him so we have to sit down and make an intentional conversation about this is what we're going to talk about and we're going to be open with each other and this is a safe space to do that.
0: So the flip side of the jealousy for new people is of course that when you start dating someone who's already dating someone that person's a fixture so there's no question of loss of resources because you know what the resources that person takes up are and you fit yourself into that space most jealousy is theoretical you're scared you will lose resources only a small percentage is actual resource loss it does happen you're right Mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to undercut that but most just in my life most (laughs) jealousy is theoretical yeah because even even in your life I imagine that the fear the jealousy fear is probably more extreme than the actual loss so like the fear of loss is 80% of it and the actual loss they have to cope with is 20% of it
1: because if you get to know me you know you're not you're not missing much (laughs)
0: but <laughs>
1: they're really not losing much. <laughs> but so that
0: that is certainly the other thing is that it's a lot easier to come into a relationship with someone yeah. that has partners. But even then if they start to have more partners, you're used to that scenario. You came into a relationship, they had a lot of partners and they're getting new partners, but I don't
1: know if it makes it any easier just because you've had you have multiple partners or you have many partners. Adding that one more in still triggers a jealousy thing because you don't know what's going to happen with this new partner. The other ones were established. There's a history there. You know what resources they take up, mm-hmm. but this new one coming in is still an unknown. I think
0: it also depends on what core resources the person offers you that you're worried about losing. Okay. At the point that I'm coming from in my own personal experience what I'm drawing on heavily to, to like this kind of response, like what mm-hmm. emotions have I felt? So jealousy has not been studied super intensively, not in, like as an emotion. It has the least total literature of any sort of emotional or cognitive function that's as consistent as jealousy is. Crazy. There's very little work done on it. Part of the reason is because it is so hard to nail down what counts as jealousy since it can be a positive response, approach response, a negative response, and a you know and a response, it's really hard to sort of codify yeah. it for that. And study. People
1: don't like to admit they're jealous.
0: That's people don't want to admit they're jealous yeah. even to themselves. So it's a very hard thing to study. A lot of the studies are in like other mammals species and like how the brain reacts and stuff, or in babies because you get actual responses and not mediated responses by what people right. want to pretend they're doing. So you know, at this point, I'm relying on that. But most of the core resources for my relationships at this point come from my longest relationship because that's my longest two relationships so my two nesting partners, my sexual and non-sexual nesting partner and my childbearing partner, right? Mm -hmm. And so if a new partner comes in and I'm I'm dating them but they also have other partners and they add other partners, the only thing I'm really worried about it at this stage with them because they're relatively new is if I'm going to get the amount of affection and interest that I was getting before and if that's going to be a significant loss and so that's less scary because especially if they like break up with one partner and then start dating another partner, it's like well Mm -hmm. that's, I mean I I always had Thursday night, that guy had Tuesday night you broke up with him now you're doing someone else on Tuesday night that's only seven nights yeah that's fine but if on the other hand you've been with that person you know you're with them and you're with them and they become that core resource for you so in Ryan's case I know that you know you all the three of you cohabitate so you obviously are a huge core resource for Ryan's perspective then the risk of loss to your interest or resources Mm -hmm. or affections is still going to be terrifying to him no matter how many partners you have or have not had in the past right on a long timeline but if he's dating other people I imagine that if those people come in having partners and they have partner turnover he's less jealous and I think you said he's less jealous of other partners dating than he is oh yeah of dating you because mm-hmm. Ryan participates significantly in your family at this point mm-hmm. as I understand it your kids treat him a lot as another dad oh then,
1: yeah he yes.
0: and so he at a very rational level has a lot to lose from breaking up with you right
1: and that's I think that is what he's afraid of is the mass loss sure is if for some reason one day I go oh yeah I'm just I'm done
0: with mm-hmm. you that he so. would lose his entire family functionally right. because he has the kind of family where he's been a member of your chosen family as opposed to having all of those and that's a general problem with polyamory not being recognized you talk about why you might want to work on polyamory getting recognized people will say well why do we want recognition the ability to marry multiple partners the ability to have multiple people adopt kids that's part of the reason why is that even if you were divorced and remarried he would have more rights to participate in the family if you then got divorced again than he currently has. Mm -hmm. He would be able to have adopted some of the children. He would have rights that the court could actually deal with afterwards as far as property sharing and and who gets what in long-term investment. He would be potentially reimbursed for his child care investments if he were left poor afterwards.
1: Right. There's more protections. Yeah. There would be more protections. And
0: and so it is true that in a lot of ways he's just hanging over a cliff. So the fact is that you are not going to drop him, but that doesn't make hanging over a cliff significantly scarier. And I can't even say the fact because that's one of those existential things I'm not allowed to do, which is I can't project you into the future as a (laughs) gift I don't know what you're going to be like in 10 years, you know, or five years or three years. Oh,
1: just wrinkly and bitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so I understand why that's so scary. And I think that all you can do is continue to try and work on finding the why. And I think the way that you know you find the why is if you talk about it, you propose a solution to that particular why, and the jealousy gets a little bit better, then Mm -hmm. you found it. And if not, try again. My best advice for anybody, if you run into an intractable problem, is just start trying things at random until something helps. This is, this is (laughs) like...
1: It's messy advice, but it is good advice. This is a
0: concept called chaotic resonance. I got this from a book called A Perfect Mess, which is about the benefits of chaos. And so the, the thought process for this looks like... you guys know like Frankenstein trying to flip the giant switch that you can't flip because it's so huge huge and heavy. Mm -hmm. So imagine you're trying to do that and you're physically not capable of doing it and then an earthquake hits. Sometimes it's going to toss you up, sometimes it's going to pull you down. Well, you can't pull the switch already so tossing you up makes it harder to pull the switch but that doesn't matter because you can't pull the switch. But then when you fall back down it might actually add force and you can pull the switch. Right. Right. So if you add chaos to a system that you can't succeed at, it only improves your odds of success. So if you have tried everything to figure out why he's jealous and you can't figure it out trying something new trying something new trying something new is gonna give you the best chance at finding that element right
1: or even knowing why He's jealous, but just trying to figure out ways to dissipate it. Sure. So. Right, right.
0: So either one of those. So either trying something new as far as, is this what you're thinking? Or trying something new as, does this help you dissipate it? Right. You know, And, and either one of those will eventually, potentially lead to the other. Like, if you find uh-huh. something that dissipates some of the jealousy, that will probably give you a hint yeah. <laughs> at where the jealousy is coming from. And if you figure out what the jealousy is coming from, that will probably give you some hints as to right. where the jealousy is going. Because, you know, it is possible that maybe the jealousy is about that potential greater loss and there's something that you might be able to do about that you might be able to write some sort of contractual agreement that says you know if x happens then you'll get y and z and you'll still be able to see my kids and you'll you know whatever the and you can walk through and and we definitely
1: have that because we're i mean we're married we we have had a commitment ceremony and we have papers written up to protect him in case of breakups and implosion Mm -hmm. of the family so we do have that in place that kind of protect him but it's still that yeah
0: well and that's also not necessarily enough like Right. If I lost my whole family, even if I was allowed to see them... The piece of paper wouldn't help. <laughs> I mean, well, it wouldn't make me feel fulfilled. It's not like I'm going to live in the house with my children raising them anymore, right. right? Just because I get to visit them on weekends, it's not like I feel like there's no risk there. Right. I wouldn't suddenly be like, well, I guess I'm good. I'll at least be a weekend dad. Whatever that counts for, I'll be fine.
1: Yeah, he's definitely the only one that like, when I embark on something new, how how is Ryan, Ryan going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. How How is... This conversation is going to go this way. He's who I worry about.
0: Sure. And you have no context for that? Like, he doesn't automatically lose dating time, or he doesn't feel like he wants to see you more than he does when you ask him about that, or no.
1: like, none
0: of the conversations, and so he doesn't know why at all?
1: I mean, he hates losing time, so that, I mean, that is part of it, but some of it is just irrational jealousy. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. we don't really know yet where it yeah. stems from. I mean, it has to have a trigger, though, right? Especially, right. that's one of the things we new from New person is the... what triggers it.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, a new person having a positive social interaction with right. you is the trigger for the- jealousy but and and maybe they're based on past experience that's so deep that it's going to be a long time to unlearn them right
1: I think a lot of it comes from before me yeah and the way that he was treated in other relationships
0: yeah, I know that, one. you know, obviously, even though I started doing jealousy mirroring and the partner that I had that was super jealous, she'd walked in on her husband cheating on her in their bedroom. Yeah. So that's where her jealousy primarily came from. It did not, in fact, come from thinking that she was going to cheat. It came from knowing that she'd been what? cheated on.
1: And it's horribly traumatic. I can understand the PTSD there.
0: Well, and especially because she didn't know why. There were no warning signs that she could see. She had no grasp on it. So, yeah. you know, she felt like before that happened, she felt like she would know if someone wanted to cheat or was headed towards cheating. Right. And then after that, she's like, I don't know. I don't know what cheating is at look like I don't you could look happy and then you could just cheat on me. I don't know. And so everything was terrifying because it was like I mean I think we all want to say that there's signs, there's signs, and sometimes there's just not there's definitely not signs. Sometimes you notice things but there's not always signs. It's not like a default right
1: when he starts doing this he's gonna cheat on you.
0: And some people cheat because they have the opportunity. Opportunity, Right. And some people cheat because they're dissatisfied. Right. So it's not true that people are gonna cheat automatically because they're dissatisfied and it's not true that people are going to cheat automatically because they have the opportunity but because either those an option, there's signs that there's dissatisfaction because they're gonna come and say I'm dissatisfied, you're not gonna listen, and then you have stuff to work with, but there's not a sign if it's really? just ooh, that was exciting, someone offered me the opportunity to cheat, and I was like, right. Cool, I'm gonna do that.
1: And I do want to clarify real quickly for the listeners that just because people are poly does not mean that they don't cheat. Like right. we deal with That's cheating just as much as monogamous well. Yeah, just as much as monogamous people do. So there yeah, are no really.
0: statistics to back either of these up, by the way. No. We're Too small of a community to have been studied. I was so I was going to take it back, is and is then anecdotal. I was like,
1: eh, no, I bet. I mean, because just numbers wise, right, but that, if isn't the risk you've got reduced five partners. That's five to opportunities to be, be cheated on on a daily basis. Have another Right. If you're, you're monogamous, you have one partner. So that even could if cheat the on
2: individual partner risk is higher, by having more partners, you end up with a average. That risk was is, where my thought process was.
1: Right, we don't have to, but there are definitely things in people's relationships where they don't want to have that conversation and they do cheat. I've definitely <laughs> been cheated on in an actively poly relationship. Have been cheated on.
0: Well, and what, I think what Mandy's saying is, that in a sense, the, the statistics are lower. If you have five partners, the chances of any one of them cheating on you. So any one relationship that you're in has lower chances of cheating. But the chances that you will be cheated on if you're in multiple relationships right. end up being fairly similar because you have the extra risk associated with each of the relationships. There's no statistics. There's so not. That's just. I don't know out of my ass. Like. So I don't know. And of course, that would also mean it would depend on how many partners you currently have. If you right. only normally have two partners or less, then probably your chances are lower. If you normally have 10 partners or more, probably higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely know cheating, cheating happens. Cheating
1: happens, even in politics. Because
0: sure. there are relationships that people will consider inappropriate. And so their partner did that without telling them because they knew that they wouldn't agree to it, mm-hmm. basically, but didn't want to lose the relationship that they also enjoyed. And therefore, you had cheating. So cheating happens whenever the thing that the person wants is something that you wouldn't tolerate and still have the relationship because you still then end up in the situation of having the dichotomy. Do I want to be with them or do I want to do this activity? And having the third option or lie and do this activity and still be with them. Yeah.
1: I've cheated before. When early on, when Jerry and I were first dating, I wanted to see somebody and I knew that he wouldn't be okay with it. Mm -hmm. This particular person. So I went behind his back and I saw him. Was that important for me to see them? I knew Jerry wasn't going to be okay with it. Logically, and from outside of the situation, I should not have been seeing this person inside the situation I wanted to see this person which happens a lot in mine and Jerry's relationship where he is the logical outside you really shouldn't do that and days later months later I said you were right (laughs) (laughs) I
0: shouldn't have done that
1: but I did but and and I did I cheated on him because I didn't want to have that conversation I didn't want to have to defend what I was doing on a daily basis of course it was horrible and and exploded and was awful and he was right (sighs) So yeah, I want you to cut that part. Cut that he up? was right, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um
0: I think also accidental cheating is a lot easier in poly because, again, of the numbers. So by accidental cheating, I have in mind something like in a monogamous relationship or any relationship where you haven't defined every possible interaction you could have, you may end up doing something that your partner thinks of as cheating that you don't think of as cheating or that you realize you should have had a discussion about, but in the moment you're not sure what you should do because you haven't had that discussion yet. Mm -hmm. Or you had that discussion, but it just seems too difficult to walk that line. You realize you're supposed to tell your partner before you do something but you left your phone at home and this person wants to make out with you and normally all you have to do is tell your partner and they're okay with that but you have no way to do that and you figure well they'll probably be okay with that and you do that and then as soon as you get your phone back you text them and you had no system for what if there's no way to communicate with you and they're like wait you did this you told me afterwards and so then you've cheated you know and because you have so many partners and so many negotiations and so many different sets of Mm -hmm. parameters that you're working on i think it's really easy to do that and again there's just more people so the chances that you'll do that are higher. And in a monogamous relationship, a lot of times, if you're even sort of similar culturally, you know where the air quote cheating line is. Well, Although, of course, yeah.
1: well, you know what society's basis for cheating is. Well, that's a so line. yeah that's subsection. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like mononormative societies' definition right. well, I, of cheating. I'm saying I think that that,
0: and i said this before, I think that mononormative society isn't that agreed on what is cheating.
1: I mean, and that's true, too, yeah. because I was definitely, definitely in a monogamous relationship and got cheated on, and he did not think what he was doing was cheating.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, as much as I like to make everyone a hegemony, I think that group needs a finer line. Because that's where most cheating comes from, I swear, in most relationships, the, is this accidental sort of cheating, where you're doing something that, as far as you were concerned, is absolutely not cheating. You've never had a conversation about it, but you're sure that it's not... You're your society says it's not, your friends say it's not, and your partner's like, You cheated on me. Right. And that still has to be resolved just like as if you had actually cheated on them mm-hmm. because, because it's for them emotionally that's still you the did. same problem. Yeah. And you still have to resolve that. It's eleven. It is. It's eleven. So we're. I already have a lot to go through to make this into a podcast, and this made us end up being extra long because it's live. And we didn't bullshit at all. We didn't. We didn't. Normally, there's like last time we had a 17 minute section where we just said "little bitch" over and over again for like 17 minutes. That I ended up being able to cut out of the total. I don't know recording why you time. Have to tell people that? It's funny. <laughs> I might put that in an outtakes video somewhere. I think that or. Yeah. Uh, Sarah and I somewhere. had a
1: discussion because she cannot say... She she called something a little bitch. Yeah,
0: but she said it was It like, was a little bitch. Yeah, very British. She
1: said the little tea is bitch. really hard. And I was like uh okay first of all you don't call people a little bitch. it's a, a little bitch. yeah <laughs> she cannot say it yeah. she's like little, little no i can't do it little, little bitch. yeah so we, we, we did we spent like 17 minutes i was just trying to teach her how, how to say how little long bitch. it was when well, i went to go cut it i was
0: like okay five minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes
1: 17 minutes
0: okay 17 minutes Yeah, But no, we didn't. And we had a lot of good listener questions. I guess we had uh, audience questions for once, which is great. Are there any
1: other questions on jealousy before we wrap up? Because that's what we're fixing to do.
0: Yeah, I was trying to do summary.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay.
0: All right. So this is a lot to try and put into a summary to hit the main points. Of. The you know the biggest thing that I just really want everyone to understand is jealousy is as close as science can ever tell you. It is innate. It is something that everyone will always have. It will always be with you. You have to do the work on yourself and with your partners not to overcome having jealousy because that's impossible, but to reconcile jealousy as it coping. comes up, yeah. to cope with jealousy as it comes up, and to try and relocate your resource triggers more actively really, as accurately as you can. So if jealousy is triggered by the fear of resource loss, if you can attach your resources that you're worried about to things you know specifically and how they'll get met, it will lower how often that happens. And the more you have that exposure, the easier it will become. So a lot of people, of course, they're transitioning monogamous to non-monogamous. The first time their partner is either romantically or sexually with someone is, I mean, this massive fear. And then on the other side of that, if they had nothing, if they don't lose things they care about, every time that that happens and they don't lose things they care about, they get better at not associating with jealousy Mm -hmm. because they understand that it's not associated with the resource loss they're afraid of. But then they might start associating other things with the resource loss that they're afraid of, um, depending on where they're losing resources. And so if you can have those conversations, set good boundaries about what you need out of the relationship to make you happy, and you can get the commitments on those resources such that new relationships don't affect them, you will have less jealousy triggers.
1: And sometimes all you need is reassurance. Sure. That's definitely something that Ryan needs is he just needs reassurance every once in a while. We're good we're solid we're still on the path he just needs reassurance I often need
0: reassurance that I'm allowed to ask for is there anything left? I, I, I would like to I, I feel like I'm very needy where I'm like can you just tell me that you're still really happy with me if that's true oh, and okay. if you're not I just want to do a check-in way more often than I feel like most people want to do a check-in and then I feel you like do I'm annoying you
1: check-ins on friendships yeah I think check-ins on <laughs> friendships
0: that's a personal question yeah. I hope that some people think that's sexy I don't know I like if a partner comes to me and is like, I just really want to know that I'm really important to you still. I feel very valued and like my relationship is safe.
1: I don't think sexy is the term, but to me it's really heartfelt. Like when one of my partners comes to me and says, you know, I just, I need to know that we're good. I need to know you still care about me, that we're, we still have the same vision, that we're still there. To me, that's heartfelt. I don't have any kind of negative feelings when, when a partner comes to me like that.
0: Well, performative sexiness is entirely culturally structured the performative sexiness being when you say or do specific actions that are meant to be sexy is it sexy is constructed it's not default well so like why was it considered up until very recently that asking for consent wasn't sexy right that if you went to someone and were like can I kiss you it was considered less sexy than like oh, just getting to close touching them yeah. doing all the little gestures to notice if you could get close and then doing it and now there are a lot of people who I know that if you do that they're like get the hell out of here like they totally shut down it's not sexy at all Consent so is very it's sexy. A, right so it's 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 about what you attach it to in your mind. And generationally, that's also going to be very different, right? So the older you are, the more likely that the attachments are to what has been historically true because that's what you came up in Mm -hmm. and that's what you were programmed inside of. But those scripts can definitely be rewritten. Like, I personally think it's super sexy if a girl asks if she can kiss me.
2: Yeah. Because I get really
0: excited at that moment, among other things. I'm like, man, this person wants to kiss me so bad. They're willing to ask out loud if if I could kiss them.
1: Like, well, and it's empowering. I love it. I think it's incredibly sexy when someone asks to kiss well, me. Well, I so. do think it
0: demonstrates confidence. I think it is performative of confidence, which is always sexy, I think, because you put yourself in a place where they can say no. Right. <laughs> and that you're willing to not like to understand that that's still who you're fine even if that's what mm-hmm. they say
1: whether they say no or not you still wanted to kiss them sure
0: yeah and you know <laughs> it's that all the, you miss all the shots you don't take right you know, so if you decide not to do anything then you're definitely not going to get what you wanted there right so I think that that's one of the things that we are the general push in liberal culture moving towards is reframing what is sexy in that space and not sexy seeing those performative non-consent gestures as being more creepy in a sense that they're not giving us the chance to consent and on the flip side making sexy the consent gestures Mm -hmm. and attaching that to positive behaviors, to safety behaviors, to caring behaviors and understanding that person cares about us enough to not want to risk injuring us when they want to engage with us. But that's a really good question because that is one of the major problems people face when you're like, you should always ask consent. Like, Is there anything less sexy than that? And that's a really common issue. And I think that's also a big part of, you know, he'll talk about rape culture, and I don't mean this negatively to attack you or anything. That's part of that, which is if you're taught that asking is unsexy, the only alternative is not asking. And a lot of people may be really good at not asking and gauging what someone wants, but an equally number of people, or even if it's a small number, let's just say a very small number, are terrible at it. But if that's what the culture demands, is that you take without reason. asking of <laughs> sure. form confidence, standard. there's always going to be violations. And that's something that, as a culture, we should not want to be creating or encouraging.
1: But, I mean, but your question was, that, is it sexy to ask to check in, mm-hmm. right? Like I said, Michael does it in friendships, even. So he'll actually text me and he kind of mind vomits sometimes. I like large quantities of information and I try
0: and make them smaller because other people like less, but my was like this you got like this it's still big
1: yeah (laughs) and and he'll go you know I'm sorry is this so is it okay if I still bounce these things off of you and I find it endearing sexy I mean not so much but because it's Michael not that I don't find Michael sexy but it's Michael (laughs) we don't have that relationship it is endearing to me that he's concerned about how I feel about him dumping that information on me so I find it endearing (laughs) I'm glad to know and that's reassuring thank you (laughs) But, well, and, you know, I, I know that I am
0: a lot of work because I have, not intentionally, I have a lot of energy. I have more, I have enough energy that I easily overwhelm people without meaning to.
1: I definitely go, whew, Michael's, in fact, Jerry just walked in. and I'd say to him all the time, Michael's being a little high maintenance today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For reference, Jerry is smiling and laughing robustly at that <laughs> comment. <Yeah. laughs> So, yeah.
1: But I even, even when he's being high maintenance, it's still, that's part of our friendship is that he can bounce things off of me like that. And... Right. and I think
0: that can also be negotiated. One of the things that I try and negotiate with people is I try and ask basically how often they would allow or positively <laughs> note a check-in. Yeah. So, like, I have a friend who's particularly drained by social interactions. And the thing that I've most recently done with them is I said, look, I'm just going to stop ever trying to engage with you and i want you to know that i always want to engage with you if you say hey what are you doing i will be at your door in 10 seconds you don't ever have to wonder if right. i will hang out with you if you are like will he hang out with me the answer is yes like i don't care what i'm doing but me constantly checking to see if you want to hang out with me is exhausting to me because i feel rejected all the time right and i know you don't mean it as rejection but it also means that you're not as interested in seeing me because you're always worried that if you volunteer to see me then i'm going to re-invite myself the next four days and you're going to have to come up with the. Mental Energy to say no to me. Right. Or suffer through having me around for four days and then just get tired out. And it's been really great since we inverted that. That's also why, like I say, you just keep trying things. Like we've been friends Mm -hmm. for six years and I've tried a lot of different things. And so far, this is the best system because now he's like, hey, you want to hang out? And I feel super great about being invited to go see him. Whereas before, I always felt like I wasn't sure if he would be upset or sad if I was like, hey, can I hang out? So I think it's about finding the balance in the relationship that's right for you. But I do think if you think checking in is super unsexy, you might want to share that and have a conversation with people who may be checking in with you and give them alternate options to get reassurance because that expectation management is the biggest thing for me and we talked about this a couple episodes back i think but if you're like texting every day and the person stops texting you they might just have a hard day at work and they don't have time to text you but if i've been texting you every hour on the hour for two days and then suddenly you don't respond to me for two days i'm gonna be freaking out somewhere and all you had to do was send me a text that said i'm gonna be really busy at work i will text you as soon as i can and i'm good because you've now told no, me no, no, why you're oh, okay. not responding. I,
1: I feel yeah. like when i am so then the audience said, sure. it's
0: that simple why don't people get that <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i think maybe is, is your question you have those people who ask for reassurance a lot and you want to go yes i told you we're fine oh okay yeah for sure
0: i feel bad doing it like it's a thing yeah. that i i have to learn to do well and And so that's why I said, I asked for reassurance that I can ask for reassurance. Like that's where I'm at at this system (laughs) is that I start with like, if I ask you for reassurance, will it make you sad or upset? Can I do it? How often can I do it? Like, where's your threshold between where you think it's healthy and where it's just aggravating? And then once I have that, then I feel less bad coming back for the other reassurance things. Because you're right, in our culture, the one that I grew up in, for sure, that is considered incredibly unsexy. It's considered yeah, no, it's, right. It's considered compliment fishing, for sure. And that's—I think you can also frame it that way. which you can say is, "I don't need you to compliment me or tell me how great I'm doing. I just need to know where we're at so that I can match you." Right. Because my biggest issue is I am not really good at gauging where someone wants my intensity to match them, and I can easily overshoot. Like, like with my friend, I get really self-conscious about like, "Am I overshooting? Am I draining them? Am I overshooting? Am I draining them? Am I overshooting?" And then I get in a cycle where then I'm asking for reassurance all the time, which is then draining and overshooting. (laughs) Um, But also not even a fun way to do that. So having that sense of when can I ask and and setting those rules, like you can say, will you promise that if you're going to change our interaction, you'll tell me and then I don't have to check in. But if it changes, then I can write you and say, you told me if our interaction changed, you would tell me why. Are we okay, or did you just forget? And then that helps you because that's that feels more like less unsexy because it's been agreed that I can do it. Like it's been agreed that you you have said you were going to do something and you haven't done that. So now I don't feel like I'm begging for a compliment. I'm just trying to check what changed.
1: Ugh, I just, I don't like the word sexy. I don't like you, you use, there's nothing about that sexy or unsexy. It just is. Reassurance is important. It's important in a relationship, whether you're asking for it or you're getting it unsolicited. It's important. It's not sexy or unsexy it's just important. So I don't think you should well, ever feel bad for asking for reassurance.
0: I mean I agree that you shouldn't feel bad for it but I do think that it is a cultural expect. like a lot of people think that you should. You know I had a partner that once refused to give me compliments because they said my ego was already too big. And but I was, don't think I think
1: reassurance and compliments are two different things though.
0: I mean I think asking for a compliment or asking for reassurance they're sort of similar in that context like do you still find me attractive in a sense is still a compliment right? Like, right. Because the, the answer is going to be yes, you're attractive, or no, you're not, but assumably it's going to be yes, and so it ends up having that, it, it runs into the same space, right? and there's the sense that you should, yeah, or like um, they'll say the same kind of thing, you should already know that I think the world reassuring.
2: of you, right. that kind of thing, which don't goes, 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 right, goes yeah, back into needy, the, we've talked we about this needy, many not,
0: times, mind right, reading is not right, really yeah, a thing, and it, if you don't ask for what you want, you won't
2: get it, and if you tell your partner they're not allowed to ask for what they want, they will not get what they want. Yeah. Desirable. Yeah. And sure.
1: Yeah. Sometimes in society, asking for reassurance makes you seem needy. You need it. Sometimes. I mean, it is what it is. Sure. Whether it's, it's needy or not, it is what it is. If you need reassurance, you need reassurance. And I don't think there's, there's anything embarrassing or you need it. It just is. So if you need it, ask for it. Because your partner's not going to know you need it unless you tell them. Yeah, I mean,
0: obviously, because if they noticed, they would have already given you the reassurance. Right. If I know that a partner needs reassurance, I'm going to do a gesture to indicate reassurance to them. And if I'm not doing it and you feel like I'm not doing it, it's because I didn't notice that you needed it. Right. Or potentially because I am, for some other reason, worried that doing that gesture would harm you in some way, depending on the context and where we are in the relationship. Like, especially early on, right, you might feel like I'm overly attached or overly really talking to right. you, so I might not be giving you reassurance because I don't want you to feel overwhelmed, and so if someone's you know in a relationship with me or entering a relationship with me and they're like, I don't feel like I've been reassured that I'm important to this person, for sure tell me and I will tell you that you yeah. are important to me.
1: You would communicate any other needs you have to your partner, right?
0: I mean, this is a sort of a circle back to how not showing jealousy ties into the toxic masculine idea of not showing emotion, which is that we are still culturated that masculinity is never needing help. Right. That what's special about being a man is you're going to provide the support that uh, women in need in order to feel safe and happy so when you need support you don't project the kind of confidence that they're going to need mm-hmm. when they want to come to you for support and that's right. part of the normalization project which is unsupported people are not great for support <laughs> if you want a guy to be super supportive you should support him support back him. <laughs> like <laughs> people who have no support who feel undercut who feel alienated who feel like they're not allowed to come to anyone for help their batteries going to run dry and then yeah. when you come to them they're just going to be gruff and yell at you and not be mm-hmm. helpful and so you you have to invest in each other. And again, like I said at the very beginning, for me, the human project is about working together to be more than the sum of our parts. So if you're willing to invest in supporting me, that'll make me a lot more energetic to support you. Back. Right.
1: To summarize, mm. jealousy is a thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Everyone experiences it. So we need to speak with our partners often. <laughs> If we have needs, communicate them and find ways to cope with the jealousy individually and together, because I think we need to cope with it individually, but we also need to cope with it together mm-hmm. and doing that by expressing your needs and making time to build the Ikea furniture the next morning. All right. All right.
0: So next week we were going to circle back to jealousy plus blame. What were we doing with those two together?
1: It um, was a part no, of blame you wanted to do it was jealousy and NRE.
0: Oh, jealousy and NRE. That's right. Because we're so, not... I'm
1: done fucking NRE. Yeah,
0: we're going to come back. So, so next week's episode, next week's episode is... An hour and 45 minutes into recording, and I was like, there's not, lots of jealousy. No, not, no. <laughs> being, <laughs> one of these topics is it's not getting
2: like
1: enough service if we just go forward with this right, right now. We, so we gotta, touched on that, and Michael was like, whoa, right. Well that's whole, a whole other that's a whole episode. T- well, we <laughs> uh, touched on that at that. like an hour and
0: 45 minutes into recording, and I was like, that's not...
1: No, not today. It's not gonna be,
0: <laughs> one of these topics is not getting enough service if we just go forward with this right, right now. We got to we gotta cut that. So we pushed that back. And we decided that it would work well with this one and then to combine the two. So. All right. So thank you all for coming. Everyone who's yes. out there listening, come to APW next year.
2: <laughs>
0: it's a great time. No, I love it. Bye.
1: <laughs> and we want to thank our our live audience this Absolutely. has been really cool it been it's been a really cool experience thank so you thank for all you your questions much. everyone who
0: was willing to share that was very helpful yes
1: all right till next time bye, bye. everybody want to say bye, bye. bye. <laughs>